Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. We have been in the book of Mark for a while. We are in chapter uh, 12, and we're going to be taking a look at verses 35 to 40 today. We've just slowly been going through the book of Mark, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a story of the life of Jesus. And so if you have a bulletin, you can uh, take some notes on the back there if you so choose. On the back of your bulletin, it says, Mark writes his gospel. And we talked about this way back, I think in January of 2020, when we started the series on the book of Mark. Mark writes his gospel in the very first verse, the very first chapter, to share with us the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark then goes on to show the validity of that statement with reporting all the things that Jesus said and all the things that Jesus did. Jesus concludes his conversation with the religious leaders with a final invitation, because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, at least one of them from our text said, Jesus says, is not far from the kingdom of God. If you look at chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says that when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. But Jesus knew that this man was not far from the kingdom, so Jesus goes on and he asks a question. All of chapter 12 encompasses questions for Jesus, and really the questions are in order to stump him so that he might lose his credibility. The problem is he answered all the questions perfectly, and it only strengthened his credibility. For those that have been with us for a while, chapter 12, we are on the Passion Week, and this is Wednesday. So Easter is coming up pretty soon. We'll celebrate Palm Sunday, and this is Wednesday of that Passion Week. We know that Thursday, Jesus spends time with his disciples in the upper room, and then Friday, uh, early morning, he is arrested and then tried, and then Friday, put on the cross. So that is the Easter week, and uh, we will be getting there as a congregation here in a few weeks, and we are there now in the book of Mark. So let's read our text for today. And I always, when I, when I read this passage before, I kind of always just glossed over it because I really didn't quite understand it. So we're going to go into a little depth with it today, and it's, it's uh, I think, very interesting. So Mark chapter 12, verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, a bunch of people had been asking him questions, now he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. And as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. 
All right, that is the reading of God's Word. And that last part there we're going to tackle a little bit more uh, next week. But what I want you to do with our notes is the first thing that we see from our text is that Jesus turns the table. Jesus turns the table. Most of the questions from the Sanhedrin that have been asked in chapter 12, again, centered around trying to stump Jesus to have him lose his credibility. But most of those questions centered around with, who are you? Who are you? And what authority do you have that is greater than ours? You know, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were the authority. And uh, they want to find out, who are you to think that you have more authority than us? And so Jesus turns the table, if you will, and asks the crowd a question that basically answers that question concerning his identity. And in the question, Jesus declares his deity. In the question and the answer, Jesus declares his deity. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Bible says that the word which it talks about in John chapter 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God, God incarnate. And that whole concept is essential and foundational to understanding the crux of Christianity. If you don't have a clear picture of who Jesus is, you're not going to have a clear picture of what Christianity is. To the Jews, the Messiah was going to be something completely different. The Jews thought that the Messiah would be a powerful human being who would, and we've talked about this a number of times, overthrow the Romans and promote Judaism. But of course, Jesus is way, way, way more than that. And so Jesus begins to ask this question and then answer it himself. And Jesus quotes, first of all, from Psalm 110. Psalm 110. It's the most quoted psalm from all of the New Testament writers. And it's a messianic psalm. I think you know what that means. A messianic psalm, meaning it points to the future Messiah. Whenever you have a messianic passage, it points to the future Messiah. And so the teachers of the law, as well as the, the, the entire Bible itself, claims that the Messiah must come from the line of David. All right, King David, the Messiah must come from the line of David. And what Jesus is asking, basically, is the Messiah nothing more than a person from the lineage of David? And that's why he asked this question, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? Is he nothing more than just the son of David, coming from the lineage of, of David? Is the Christ, that is a word for Messiah, is the Messiah nothing more than just coming from the lineage of David? And the Jews would answer that, yes, that's, that's, that's what the Messiah is. He comes from the line of David. He's nothing more than that. He's just a human from the line of David. The problem is, is, as according to Scripture, this is an incomplete understanding of the Messiah from the New Testament. Jesus is claiming there's more to the Messiah than just coming from the line of David. There's, there's more than just being in the lineage of David. I mean, not, not, yeah, of David, of David. 
And of course, Jesus does come from the lineage of David. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, it talks about his genealogy and goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. If you look at Luke chapter 3, I think it is, it's really the lineage of Mary. And believe it or not, both Mary and uh, Joseph come from the lineage of David. Both Mary and Joseph come from the lineage of David. But Jesus is going to show from Psalm 110 that David's claims that there's more to the Messiah than just being in line back to him. There's more to the Messiah. So Jesus reminds them in verse 36, he says, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so in Psalm, David speaks through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus reminds uh, the people that are listening to him, that D, uh, David is speaking now in the verse that we're going to look at, Psalm 110, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The, in, the word inspiration means God breathed. So God breathed out these words that David spoke. God breathed them into David and he wrote them down. The whole Bible is inspired by God. It's God's breath into the human writers who write down God's word. And so because it comes from inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David is not mistaken. And the next point is this. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, who is David's Lord. All right, you got that? It's kind of hard to understand. But God the Father is speaking to God the Son, who is David's Lord. And so this is what it says, David himself, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So you're thinking, wow, that's a weird verse. What is that all about? Okay. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, who is David's Lord. The Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So the word Lord here is kurios in the Greek. In the Hebrew, it is translated Adonai. Adonai. And it's a Hebrew name for God. Adonai, a Hebrew name for God. So the Lord said to my Lord. So David is saying, God the Father is saying to my Lord, God the Son... Sit at my right hand until I make your en or until I put your enemies under your feet. The word Lord signifying sovereignty. And then to top it off, not only is the Lord God the Father calling God the Son Lord, and David calling him Lord, he gives him the ultimate place of authority. That's the next point. God the Father put God the Son in his perfect seat of authority. And remember, we've talked about Jesus ascending and sitting at the right hand of God. The priest, we talked about this in the book of Hebrews when we were there a couple of years ago. The priest never sat down. His job was never done, continually making sacrifice. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, the Bible says he was seated at the right hand of God the Father, seated in that his sacrifice was complete. No need for it anymore. No need for uh, the blood sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. 
So God the Father put God the Son in His perfect seat of authority. And God declares in Philippians 2, remember that? To give Jesus a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Take your Bible and turn to a similar passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, similar in the scope of an understanding of who Jesus is, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, I pray also, Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here you go. And his incomparable or his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So God the Father put God the Son in his perfect seat of authority. And to top it off, our verse says that he has divine authority even to his enemies. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And here I got, the, I got this circled. And if, you, if you don't really get what's going on here, I got this circled. What Jesus wants to get across to the crowd is that Jesus is David's son and David's Lord. That's what's going on here. Jesus wants to get across his deity that he is not only in the lineage of David, but that he is also David's Lord. And then he goes on, and like I said, we'll talk about this a little bit next week. He goes on, he says, probably looking directly at the Sanhedrin, he says, uh, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And we'll go ahead and take a look at the next few verses next week as well. So Jesus warns the crowd of false teachers. And he's probably looking directly at the Sanhedrin that is made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the Herodians. They all make up the Sanhedrin, this religious leadership group. And he looks right at them and then says to the people, beware of false teachers. But what I want to just spend a few moments here at the end is this verse 37, the latter part. So what Jesus says is David himself calls him Lord. How then can he only be his son? And then it says the large crowd listened to him with delight. The large crowd listened to him with the delight. There's a word that I never heard before until I moved to Minnesota. And my wife now uses it all the time. It drives me crazy. It's the word lovely. Oh, there's something about that word that just, I don't know, it irks me. And so now Vicki, because it irks me, she's using it all the time. Wasn't our food lovely tonight? 
Aren't those geese flying over lovely? And just, ugh, it's just, I get the same feeling from this word delight. Delight. And for you taking notes, I, uh, I want you to write down, the crowd is delighted. The crowd is delighted. They hear what Jesus is saying about his deity, that he's more than just in the line of David. He is David's Lord. He is God in the flesh. They hear this and they are delighted. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just like they hear this and they think it's lovely. Right? It, it, I just... I think it's an understatement. I think it's an understatement. It, 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 it's a big understatement. What really these people ought to be doing after they hear this word is falling down on their faces before the Lord God Almighty, understanding that Jesus is His beloved Son. They, they, they ought to be falling down. It ought to be more than just... Lovely. They ought to be more than just delighted in what they hear. Delighted seems to be too weak of a response in the presence of the Son of God. Delighted just seems to be too weak. Being a Christ follower, and those of you that are sincere and serious about your faith, requires more than delight. I mean, delight may pop up in your vocabulary every now and then, but being a Christ follower requires more than lovely or, or delight. It requires words like obedience. It requires words like sacrifice. It requires words like forgiveness. It requires words like love. And Jesus was reminding the religious leaders a few weeks ago, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Not just with some. And that's why a couple of weeks ago we sang the song, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. But you know what, for the most part... <laughs> Yeah, that song is not really something we take into consideration a lot. I surrender all when it's convenient. I surrender all when things are going well for me. I surrender all when all of my prayers are answered. But when life gets tough, and when words like sacrifice and obedience and forgiveness and love come up, well, it's a little bit easier not to sing that song or to change the words, I surrender when it's convenient. <laughs> it doesn't really go that well with the tune, but we oftentimes sing it that way. Anything less than those people bowing down in the presence of God Almighty, anything less would be cheating God out of what is rightfully His. So I think I want to encourage you to take a peek at your life. If you're a Christ follower, what does that mean? I'm a Christ follower when it's convenient. I go to church when it's convenient. I go to church or I, I listen to the sermon until they get, it gets boring, you know, or something. You know, I, I want you to think about that. Are you, are you delighted in your faith? 
And it's okay if you're right there being delighted, but I think God wants more from us than delight. He wants more from us than a lovely faith. And so at the bottom of your notes there, it says, you must get Jesus right or you'll get left. All right? Talking about the rapture here. When I was a kid, uh, we'd always say, get right or get left. All right? Uh, in other words, get your faith right, or when the rapture comes, you're going to get left. You must get Jesus right. You've got you to get Jesus right, or you'll get left. Jesus is more than the Jews thought uh, a, a good man to be the Messiah. He is God in the flesh, taking your penalty for sin on a cross, and then rising from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is more than a delight. He is more than lovely. He ought to be bowed down and worshipped. There's a song, we're not going to sing it, but the last verse of it I think is appropriate. It's 324 in your hymn book. And it's entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I want you to listen to the last verse of this song. Were the whole realm of nature mine, all right? The whole realm of nature were it mine. That were a present far too small. If I, had, if I owned the whole world, it would be a present far too small to offer to my Savior. Love so amazing, love so divine... And you know this last verse. Demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. And at the very bottom of your bulletin, it says communion is the right time to get the right Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we're going to share communion. One of the things an ordinary church does, according to the front of our bulletin, is to uh, remember the cross. And so, Lord, we're going to remember the cross today. We're, we, we do it the first Sunday of every month. We remember what Jesus did on the cross, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed, so that we might have forgiveness of sin, amazing eternal life, and abundant life here on earth. Lord, we're going to remember Jesus on the cross. We're going to remember the thorn of crowns in his brow. We're going to remember the beatings. We're going to remember the nails in his hands and in his feet. We're going to remember the sword in his side. We're going to remember him saying, it is finished. I took care of man's sin. It's all done. And now, by my death, I'm going to demand my followers, their life, their soul, their all. That's the least we can give to Jesus who gave his all for us. Lord, help us to remember as we share communion of the great sacrifice of God in the flesh so that we might have an opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus our Savior. In his name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.